0: Good morning. Good, morning. Good morning. Turn with me if you would in your Bibles to Galatians five twenty two. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing... He deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit, or from the Spirit, reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith.
1: Well, good morning to all of you. If you would, turn with me again in your Bibles to Galatians 5. We will get to Ephesians 5 in just a moment, but let's start in Galatians 5. I want to read a few verses in a minute from that, some of which Josiah read and a few others. So, turn to Galatians chapter 5. This morning we'll be looking at... Ephesians 5:19 through 21 continuing our study from last time where we talked about being filled with the Holy Spirit or, or by the Holy Spirit. And today we'll be considering what is a genuinely <clears throat> spirit-filled church, a genuinely spirit-filled church. <clears throat> what is a spirit-filled church? Is it characterized by people who are out of control, who break into a religious frenzy accompanied by ecstatic utterances? Well, many say yes. Some will use the verse we looked at last time, Ephesians 5.18, to teach what they call being drunk in the Spirit, or holy intoxication, they sometimes will call it like drunkenness, being drunk in the spirit, they say, manifests itself in lowering your inhibitions, lowering your bodily control, and they sometimes will break out into things like supernatural laughter. And what what they mean by some of that is, if you watch some of their services, what they do is people, you know, if they... You know, I saw one preacher. He would breathe on people. I guess breathe the spirit on them, and then they would just fall over. You know that kind of thing, you lose bodily control, and that is what they present as being, instead of saying filled by the spirit, drunk in the spirit lowering your bodily control, among other things. But that kind of behavior mimics religion, or pagan religion. It mimics that. We, we talked about that just briefly last time, the ancient pagan religions, and there are still pagan religions that do this, where that sort of thing, losing control and having ecstatic utterances and that sort of thing, that is characteristic of paganism. And that doesn't at all characterize being filled by the Spirit. You see, as we saw last time, being filled by the Spirit brings more control, more self-control, not less. And then to build on our lesson from last week, another way we can say being filled by the Spirit is walk by the Spirit, which is what we find in Galatians 5, for example. And most consider that those are just two different ways of saying the same thing. Be filled by the Spirit or walk by the Spirit. And that takes us to, here we'll talk for a minute about Galatians 5. The book of Galatians, what Paul's doing there is he's showing that both legalism and license are both unbiblical. And so walking according to the flesh, whether it's according to the flesh by trying to keep the law in order to make God happy, or living licentiously... What that results in are evil practices. It produces the deeds of the flesh in Galatians 5, 19 through 21. But the contrast to that is, as he presents in Galatians, walking by the Spirit. Or Ephesians 5, being filled by the Spirit. And what that does is it will produce the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And as we look at uh, Galatians 5 and 6, just briefly, and you think about that, that section of the book is densely packed with two ideas that are important for our study today. They're densely packed with mentions of the Holy Spirit. We heard some of that when Josiah read from a portion of that, but also densely packed with the idea of one another, which is going to be important in our, again, another thing important in our study today. The Holy Spirit and one another. And I want to show you a few of that. I'm going to just read some brief things from, and I'm going to back up a little bit to Galatians 5.13 and read a few selections just to show you that both of those are very common in this section of Galatians. The Holy Spirit and one another. And so, Galatians 5.13, at the end of the verse, after after talking about, yes, you're called to, to freedom as Christians, but he says, you know, don't use that for the flesh, but the end. But through love serve one another. And then verse 15, a warning. But if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by one another. Verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, And you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. And then verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, same idea there, you are not under the law. And then in verses 19 through 21, he then lists the deeds of the flesh that I mentioned earlier. This is what is produced by the flesh if you try to live according to the flesh instead of according to the Holy Spirit. And then verses 22 and 23 gives the fruit of the Spirit, which many of us have memorized. Uh, Very powerful verses to use in in learning how should I walk as a Christian. And then verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. And then chapter 6, verse 2, one more thing. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. So what Paul is doing there is he's showing what a Spirit-filled church or a church of people who are walking by the Spirit, living by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, all kind of synonymous terms with some different shades of ideas to help us fill that idea out, what it means to walk by the Spirit to be filled by the Spirit. And it produces the beautiful fruit of the Spirit. Very, It's such a stark contrast to the deeds of the flesh. We're going to find that same thing in Ephesians 5. And so now you can go back on over to Ephesians 5. We'll be looking at verses 19 through 21. So, what are main point is today, we want to get across, is this. When He fills, the Spirit transforms and energizes local assemblies, churches, for for the purpose of other-centered ministry. When He fills, the Spirit transforms and energizes local assemblies for other-centered ministry. And so what happens as a result of being filled by the Spirit is that we become other-centered. We think about others. And this is others as in one another, but also others as in our God and Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that uh, worked out today in the passage. We will be other-centered toward God. We'll bring glory to Jesus. We'll bring glory to the Father. But we'll also seek the good of one another, the real needs that each other has, and we will seek to meet those. So what we're doing as we're going through Ephesians 5, we've encountered, starting in verse 15, where Paul calls us to walk in wisdom. And that will take us all the way through chapter 6, verse 9. So we're slowly making our way through that section. Walk in wisdom. And in the first part of that discussion of walking in wisdom, in verses 15 to 21, is walking in wisdom in relation uh, to... the church, or in church relationships. Okay, so walking in wisdom in church relationships. To do that, we need the Holy Spirit. And that's why he brings up in verse 18 that we need to be filled by the Spirit. He forbids us there to be drunk with wine, because that leads to waste and recklessness and ruin. That was what dissipation means. Instead, we're to be filled by the Spirit. So, we talked about what being drunk results in. What then does being filled by the Spirit result in? And that's what we're going to get into today. <clears throat> the main verb here... Is be filled, as in be filled by the Spirit. Okay, that's going to be the main verb. And it's followed by five participles. Now, you know, if you, in English, I don't know about your grammar classes and stuff, we didn't really talk much about participles, you know, so you, you might not have ever really heard what they are, or you might not remember if you did learn. I mean, who thinks about participles, right, all the time? Um, so, <clears throat> a participle is is a cross between a verb and a noun okay it sometimes has more verbal action type elements sometimes it has more being you know noun type elements to it and and what they are they're they're basically helping words they help the main verb so we we look at a sentence of what is the main verb that's we've got to get that right because that's driving everything right and then these helping words come along and they and what they're doing here is explaining what does that the action of the main verb look like? What does being filled by the Spirit look like? And so he gives us these five participles that are going to help to explain the outcome of being filled by the Spirit. So if we go to the next slide, you'll see on the right hand side. If we you think of that as as a sandwich, you know, or a burger, or something like that, right? And, and so you got the the green there. I know it's green bread. You wouldn't want to eat, right? Unless you're Dr. Seuss, but. Um, Think of the—you the, know—you got the top and bottom as the bread, and then the middle is meat and cheese or whatever goodies you you like, right? <clears throat> Being filled by the Spirit, the main verb will produce something, and what it produces are these four basic things. So, I said five participles, and I'm giving you four things that filling by the Spirit produces. That's because two of them are put together, and I'll show you that in a little bit. Okay, so. <clears throat> What's going on here is teaching and admonishing. There's singing. There's uh, thanking, and then there is giving and serving. Now I've kind of reworded that, and you can see where I'm going with this. Um, But I wanted to show you first that what's going on here, the the first and last elements, products of the spirit, are toward one another. Okay, and that's what I put those in green. Those that are toward we do toward one another. We teach and admonish one another. We give and serve one another, right? Give to and serve. And then the middle is directed toward Jesus and God the Father. Okay, so there's that singing and then thanking. So let's go now to the next slide. And, and so I'm showing this a little differently because I want to draw out something different for you here. So the, on the left side are those those four... Closer to what he actually says in the text. So, you've got speaking, speaking, singing, thinking, and submitting. Okay? The arrows read in your head the word to, T-O. Okay? So, speaking to whom? One another. You go to the bottom. Submitting to whom? One another. You see? So, again... The green they're representing, that that's what we're doing to one another. But in the middle, singing is going to be to the Lord Jesus. And then thanking is going to be, we give thanks to God the Father. Okay, so do you, you see how that that's going? That's what he's doing here in this section. And it's kind of cool the way he outlined that. It, it's almost uh those of you who study especially hebrew uh, literature and things like that you know an acrostic you know where there he's he's, he's trying to, it what the way they do that this is kind of that way where he starts out and ends up in the same place right so and and so what's going on here is he's showing us there are going to be and this isn't exhaustive but he's trying to drive home to us an idea that <clears throat> the Spirit of God is producing in us things that are characterized by our worship and that has to do with our, our, what we do to one another, toward one another, and toward God. Okay. So, as we unpack this first thing we want to look at is this. Be filled by the Spirit so you can purposefully communicate. So you can purposefully communicate to educate and exhort one another. And so the men that are in our teaching workshops are going to beat me up about this because I make them do this real short and they can see that I cheated here. Because I put a little thing up there, right? That's not part of the main point. So, uh, But they can learn here that you get to cheat a little bit, right? So... And uh, be filled by the Spirit so you can do what? First, purposefully communicate. To communicate what? To educate and exhort one another. So, here in Ephesians 5, I want to back up and and pick up in verse 15. And this is the, the call to walk by... Walk in wisdom. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. How do we understand that? He says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We'll stop there, okay? So... We're going to communicate purposefully. Communicate to, with one another. A spirit-filled church is a communicating church. And I'm, I'm collecting these, and you'll see it on a slide toward the end. So if you're trying to get those and you miss them, a spirit-filled church is a communicating church. Speaking here is talking about verbal communication. It is making sounds with your mouth, but not just sounds but sounds that are intelligible sounds that that communicate. It's not just idle talk it's not just making sounds or babbling and, and in unknown languages or whatever this is is going to communicate. And there's a clarity of purpose here in communicating. You see, it's not just talking to be talking. You're wanting to communicate and you're making the sounds in order to communicate to others. What is that purpose, that clarity of purpose? What is it? To educate and exhort one another. Now, how do we get that? He just says speaking here. Well, we have to back up a little bit and think about what he's been talking about in Ephesians chapter 4, particularly. A couple of things are going to help us there. But then we'll also look at the parallel passage in Colossians 3.16. So, uh, kind of put your thinking caps on and follow with me on this. So, back in Ephesians 4.15, remember we had that speaking the truth in what? Love. Or truthing in love is actually the way it is literally, okay? But speaking the truth in love. There's that idea of the truth. We're, we're communicating the truth, okay? Then in chapter 4, verse 29, he, he tells us to only speak words that are good for what? Edification, building up. See, we're not to be you know, using those unwholesome words that actually tear people down. Okay, we're to use words, all of our words need to be those that build up. See, there's that idea of truth and edification. And then if you think about the parallel passage, Ephesians and Colossians, there's a lot of similarities between the two. But fortunately, when Paul wrote those, is that in some places he would kind of fill out a little more than he did in the other place. And that helps us to understand what he's talking about. And that happens here. Okay, so... In Colossians 3.16, we're going to find that same thing. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. But what he says, instead of be filled by the Spirit, he says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. You see, and it's just another way of saying the same thing. So here it is, the Word of Christ, that in a sense fills us, it dwells in us richly, to what end? Well, first he says, with all wisdom. You see, there's the connection to, we're in the section walking in wisdom. With all wisdom, teaching and admonishing. Teaching and admonishing one another. And then he says, with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Okay? So, that is where, what he's talking about, when he says speaking here. And he's not saying singing yet. He's going to. But he says, speaking to one another in Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Colossians, he fills that out a little more and says it's the word of Christ, it's that truth. We speak speak the truth in love, the truth, okay, the truth of Scripture. We're to edify, and we do that by teaching and admonishing. Now, when we talk about teaching, for example, we're not talking here in, in Ephesians 5.19, we're not talking about the gift of teaching, that formal gift of teaching, which... I'm exercising now, right? It's not that. It's not a formal admonishing one another. What he's talking about is something that's for all of us. We don't all have the gift of teaching. Okay? But this, we all do. Okay, Toward one another. And what's going on is, biblically rich songs give each of us the opportunity to, to educate one another, and to exhort one another, okay? You might not have realized that. You might have thought that when you were singing the our first three s- songs today, that you were singing to God, to the to the Lord Jesus. And hopefully you were. You may not have realized that you were to be doing more than that. You were to be speaking to one another as you did that. That doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you turn around because you creep the people out behind you, you know, I right? Turn around and you start, you know. And they wouldn't want me doing that, listening to my voice but uh, in singing. But we are doing that. As we are singing these things, we are also speaking them for each other's edification and exhortation or admonishment. See, and you can think about, again, Psalm 73, Kevin took us through a few weeks ago. And he said that, when he finally, you know, pulled himself together, was at what occasion? He went to the temple, the house of the Lord. Okay, when Asaph, when he went into the house of the Lord, he's like, oh, that's the solution to my problem. He heard the word of God. He may have heard it preached, but he definitely heard it sung. And of course, Asaph, being one of the guys who's writing a lot of these, that's very likely what was on his mind, is he heard the psalms being sung and the truth of that, as other people are singing those songs and he's singing with them, that is impacting him. And he's like, that's the answer I needed. Okay, I'm coming back to the Lord. I You know, in my, in my mind, I, I've got it now. I'd forgotten. That's what we're doing when we're singing. That's one of the things we're doing. We're singing these things out with our heart. Yes, to the Lord, but we're also doing it for each other and and you know how it is. there are times where you know you're struggling and you come here and you're just kind of you know it's just kind of wrote, you know the song and so you you you're singing the words, but your mind is somewhere else. you know maybe it's on your problem, whatever you're wrestling with. and but a lot of times what the spirit will do, is as you're hearing other people singing these things and, and they're putting their heart into it and it's robust and, and it just, you know, you're, you're just kind of, it wakes you up and you listen to what you're singing and what they're singing and you're exhorted, you're encouraged, you're reminded, you're admonished, you're taught. But this isn't just. When we're singing, it extends to all of our interactions with one another. Because, for example, the Psalms are Scripture, and the good hymns and spiritual songs that our music leaders, our song leaders, choose are soundly biblical, and so they're useful. And, and I use songs in counseling. I use Psalms, but I even use some of the, some good Christian songs in counseling. And I know many of you do in your, your discipleship or you're trying to encourage someone. Uh, I see and hear this all the time. You'll, you'll text someone, oh, here, here's a YouTube of so-and-so singing this. Listen to that. You need to hear that. That'll encourage you. You know, and, and we do that. But it can be just the truth from those songs in our interactions that need to uh, transform our interactions. Think about this. What if all of our interactions, whether they're here or out, you know, in normal life, you know, Monday through Saturday, what if those interactions had the purposefulness, the quality, and the Christ-centeredness of worshiping in song? I mean, think about it. You know, the, what's going on among us when we're singing? And what if that Christ-centeredness made its way out into the rest of our lives so that when we see each other during the week or we, we're texting and emailing or calling or how, whatever kind of interactions we have, what if it had that character? Just like when we're singing our psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I mean, we would be transformed, wouldn't we? That's what he's trying to get across here. That's why. I mean, you you wonder, why would you say speaking something that I sing? Why are you, in my speaking, my educating others and exhorting others, why do you bring music into this, Paul? Because He wants what happens or should be happening in those moments when we're singing to work their way out into all of our interactions and to have that same character and quality. Now, let's talk about the rich variety that we have available to us to sing and then make use of. The word psalms uh, is originally referred to playing a stringed instrument. Uh, literally the verb means to pluck like so you think about you know whether it's a guitar uh, for for us back then something like a harp or a lyre where they would pluck the strings to make music that's that's what psalm a psalm means the verb means here it's referring to old testament psalms the word hymns these are songs of praise to God and you think about we read this sometimes when we're going through the Lord's Supper and I read from, or one of us reads from the Gospels and and it says, when their Passover meal was over, after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Right? A hymn. Now, you and I think, you know, okay, was that one that Martin Luther wrote or or Isaac Watts or something like that, right? And We are quite a bit too early at that point. A hymn was something that they took from what we call the Psalms, okay? Um, They used that hymn that the writers talk about after they they sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. That was one of the Hallel Psalms, okay? Um, and, And I put up here on the slide, you can see up at the top, right, Hallel, it means praise, Okay, now we used that word just a little bit ago, didn't we? We sang, Hallelujah, what a Savior. Okay, so you were singing it, don't know if you knew what it meant, you might. Okay, but to break it down for you, Hallel means praise. Okay, so Psalms 113 through 118 were, are called the Hallel Psalms. They would sing the first two of those before they started the Passover, and then they would sing the last four. At the conclusion of it, and so probably the one gospel writers are talking about is the last one, Psalm 118, that that's what Jesus and the apostles sang as they were leaving, okay? So, hallel, praise, uh, you, hallelu, you, hallelu, right? The you sound makes, in Hebrew, makes that uh, plural and uh, first-person plural, so it's let us, okay? And then yah, short for Yahweh. Let us praise Yahweh. So, when you're singing, Hallelujah, what a Savior, you're singing, Let us praise Yahweh, what a Savior. Right? Okay. So, that's what Hallel means. That's what the second term, hymns, is referring to. Paul and Silas sang hymns of praise in the Philippian jail. Again, that same, probably one of those from Psalm 113 through 18. What about spiritual songs? Those are songs of joy, or they could be called songs of praise, and so you can see there's there's overlap here because all three of these terms are used in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. They're all three used to refer to different psalms, and they're used in you know to translate the Hebrew words. You think about, when you go back and you read the the headings of the psalms. It'll say you know a psalm of David, a song. Okay, those hard to distinguish those and say them right, you know. But one of those words is hymn, one of those words is psalm, and another word is just song, okay. And that's what Paul is pulling out for us here. Because there is overlap, so we can't, you know, drive too hard a distinction between them. But they do show that there's a wide variety of music, of of you know, rich biblical music that we have available to us. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So we don't have to say, oh, it's got to always be like this. Okay? Because we have a rich variety available. So, to to close off that first point, speak biblically, speak biblically rich truth. Speak biblically rich truth to one another for mutual edification. So, The the truth you sing Sunday mornings, take that same truth and let that govern your interactions with each other to educate, to exhort, encourage, those kinds of things. Number two, be filled by the Spirit so that you can sing to the Lord Jesus from the heart. The second part of verse 19. Be filled by the Spirit so you can sing to the Lord Jesus from the heart. Again, verse 19. Being filled with the, by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. So we said a Spirit-filled church is a communicating church. Now, a Spirit-filled church is a singing church. And we are that, and praise the Lord. We sometimes visit other churches, and they, they don't sing the way we do. Sometimes they don't sing at all. They just have a you know you know a choir up there that does all the singing, and people just listen. But a spirit filled church is a singing church. Literally, this is singing and psalming, like the psalms. Okay, singing and psalming, and they go together. So these are the two out of the five that go together. So that's why we have four things that describe a. Spirit-filled church. These are the verb forms of two words that were used, what we were just talking about, psalms and songs, okay? And so he's it's singing and psalming. Or you could translate it singing songs and psalms. That's one way. But you could translate this way, which a number of people do, and it could very well be how Paul meant it. Singing with accompanied by instruments. Okay? Because psalming, actually, the verb means to pluck as you're, you're playing a stringed instrument. So it could be singing and playing a stringed instrument. Okay? To accompany. Um, it could mean that. So believers who are filled by the Spirit will not only sing with their lips, but also with their hearts. do not only sing with their lips, but sing with their hearts. You see, it should start in the heart. It doesn't start with your singing with your lips. It to, it's supposed to start in your heart. Why? Well, first of all, that's where the Holy Spirit resides. We know from Romans 8 that that's true. The Holy Spirit is in our heart. Remember, He's filling us. Okay, And, and so Him working there in our heart stirs up that joy within us and makes us think about the truths we know. To think about what has happened to us in Christ. And it stirs up, He stirs up the joy in our hearts. And then the music comes out, the singing comes out over our lips. But the heart is also our inner man. It is the center of our understanding... Of our wills. So in other words, we're choosing. It's the center of our thinking. You see. So, whenever you know you're, you're looking up here on the screen, or you're looking in your hymnal, and you're, you're, or maybe you know the song and you're just going from memory. You should be thinking about what you're singing. Now I know how it goes. My mind does this too, because then the mind will wander off or something for a minute, Then I try to grab it, pull it back, you know, get back on the song here, and think about it. You know, we're, like earlier when we were singing, I was picturing Jesus dying for us on the cross, hanging on the cross for me. That's what we should be doing. Picture that. Think about it as you're singing. Okay? And then the Spirit takes that. He stirs up within us as He fills us so that we're moved to sing. We're filled to sing. So first, we had talked about that speaking, and that was toward one another. This singing is toward Jesus. When He uses Lord here in Ephesians, He's talking about Jesus. So we're singing to the Lord Jesus. Okay? Third, be filled by the Spirit so that you can constantly give thanks to the Father. Be filled by the Spirit so you can constantly give thanks to the Father for all that conforms to Jesus' mission. Thank Him for all that conforms to Jesus' mission. Verse 20. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. So a Spirit-filled church is also a thanking church. And do you notice the Trinitarian touch there that Paul puts on this? When believers are filled by the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit... They give thanks to God the Father, and they do it in the name of whom? Jesus, God the Son. You see, so here He's got the Trinity again. It's, just, it's woven all through this, okay, and uh, through biblical theology. Well, let's first define all things, because you know, we could say, well, does that mean I need to give thanks for Satan, and I need to give thanks for things that are just truly outright evil? No, don't press it to mean that. That's not what he's talking about. Okay, very t- very often all, it's qualified. Okay, and, and it's probably less common that all means like all without any exception. Okay, and that's how it's used here. Now, he's going to help us understand what that means. What does he mean by all things? That's why he tells us, he qualifies it in the name of our Lord Jesus, in His name. that Give thanks for that which is consistent with His character. But it's even broader than that, because we would say, well, okay, that's that's not something that aligns with Jesus' character, because this bad thing that happened to me this week... Well, you should give thanks for God taking you through that situation... While you might not give thanks for that person doing evil, if it was a person or whatever happened, right? But it's also what is in keeping with, what is consistent with Jesus' mission. Because you remember earlier, at the end of chapter 1, he told us that Jesus is head of the church. And he talked about the the power there. And he used those different words for power, remember. And how he is working for the good of his church. He's working for... And then that will produce His glory. Okay, and then we'll see again, we get later in chapter 5 when we're talking about husbands loving their wives and He'll talk about Jesus and, and, and all that He does for His church. And, and I think that has to be included in this. So, is it consistent with what His mission is? What He is trying to accomplish or is accomplishing, to say it better, in this world You see, there's nothing that falls outside of his mission. And I know this is hard for us. Because there's a lot of bad things that happen out there. And sometimes in here and sometimes in here, right? But none of it is outside of his mission. He is absolutely sovereign over everything and everyone. Okay? And so, when something bad happens to you, you can say, Thank you, Lord, for taking me through that trial. Because I know part of your mission is to make me more like you, Jesus. Or, okay, this bad thing that has happened, or, or this, this shift in our society, in our government, whatever, that looks horrible. It's going, in our mind, the wrong way. And morally and spiritually speaking, it is the wrong way. But when we think about the the absolute sovereignty of Jesus, who is moving everything in the direction that He wants it to go, that His Father said, okay, this is the plan, and Jesus is the one who's who's carrying out that plan as the sovereign Lord over not only His church, but again, in Ephesians 1, Everything. That all fits in his mission. When I mean, you think about how bad things got in the first century, you know we think things are worse now than they ever were. That's not true, because I can, I can show you things from the first century that are way worse. Okay, and it's bad. I'm not going to minimize it. But what did Paul call that in Ephesians? The fullness of time. You see, he brought all of those bad things together. A godless government, godless religious leaders, a lost, the people of God, by and large lost. And he works all that together, what? To bring, to bring the Savior. Right? So it's all in this plan. Now, that doesn't mean that it's all okay. It doesn't mean God's not going to hold them accountable for the evil they do. He will. But we can say thank you for taking us, me, through this, because I know you're working out your plan, your mission, Jesus. And so you don't say, Lord, I thank you that we have a godless government. Not, not, that's not what we're saying. We should pray, Lord, you know, vindicate where vindication needs to happen. Because that's your job. Lord, change their hearts. Save them. Give us godly leaders. That's a good thing to pray. But we can say, things are pretty tough right now, Lord, and thank you for bringing us through that because I know that this is part of your mission. We may not know what it all is right now. We probably won't until later. So we do that once and we're done. Now he says, do this always. That doesn't mean that every second of every day you're thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, but it, it means that you're, it's an ongoing thankfulness, whereas you consider and you're praying, Lord, boy, I need your help here. You said, so, thank you for taking me through this trial, but I need your help to do it right. I need your help to bear up under it. Um, but you see, that's where it, it comes to mind, and you give thanks for what He's doing. Thanking Him for the situations He places you in. Thanking Him for the trials that He sends to grow you in Christ. Um, Sovereign Grace Music, they have a song on their album, Come Weary Saints, which is, if you're suffering, that's a great album, okay? Um, And I've listened to it many times and cried through it many times. Their song, Every Day, shocks you the first time you hear it. Because the singer, in the chorus, he goes... Talking to God, thank you for the trials, for the fire, for the pain. First time I heard that, I'm like, ah, ow, no, I don't want to do that. Really? Yeah, I know I do. I mean, I know my Bible well enough. Yes, I do need to do that. But, oh, that is not easy. And, and that singer, as in in he wrote that, he knows basically that God is sovereign is what he says Next. He knows that God uses painful trials to bring about Jesus' mission. These are personal trials, church troubles, world problems. None of them are outside of His control. None of them are outside of His mission. He uses things even that He doesn't take pleasure in. Like I said in the first century, just look at that. The ancient Israelites collectively, you remember the story, they, they come out of Egypt and, you know, you'd think, it was like, wow, we saw God work, miracles, this is wonderful, we're, we're going to walk with the Lord every day. I mean, No, it didn't take long. As a group, they're complaining against the Lord, they're complaining against uh, Moses whom He appointed to lead them. What's more frequent, whether we're talking about in in our church, in our lives individually. What's more frequent? Giving God thanks or complaining? Are we going to be like the ancient Israelites? Oh, we've been saved by Jesus. Oh, Lord, I hate this where I'm at. And oh, grumble, 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 grumble. Are we going to be like the Egyptians or the Israelites after coming out of Egypt? Or are we going to be filled with the Spirit and give thanks? Number four. <clears throat> be filled by the Spirit... So you can submit to one another in worshipful reverence of Christ. Be filled by the Spirit so you can submit to one another in worshipful reverence of Christ. Now, today what I'm going to do, and if you looked at your watch or the clock or something, you know that I don't have a whole lot of time to finish up and I didn't plan to. Okay? I just want to hit this at a high level, verse 21, at a high level, because I need to come back and talk about more Uh, particularly some of the things that we find, two things in particular. Okay, there is a controversy we need to deal with. Uh, I'll mention that briefly in a minute. But both of these topics that we find here in verse 21 are are significant enough that I don't want to just pass them over and and leave them at just a high level. Okay, so verse 21. And after talking about Speaking, singing, thanking, verse 21, and being subject to one another in the fear of Christ, or and submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. This isn't a command, okay? You're like, my NAS has it as a command. And part of the problem is, and I'll go into this next time, but part of the problem is that verse 21 is wrapping up the the discussion we just had about being filled with the Spirit. But it's also introducing the next section. And so, you know, the translators are like, okay, what do we do with this? And some decide to go one way and some the other. Uh, and it really is, it's doing double duty. And it's its pointing backwards in a sense and pointing forwards too. <clears> That's <throat> not a command. It should be translated and, and some of the translations leave the word and out, but and submitting yourselves to one another. It's the fourth mark of being filled with the Spirit, okay? This is still part of the other-centeredness Paul's showing us as the results of being filled by the Spirit. And briefly, what he means by submitting to one another is putting others first. Okay, that's in a nutshell what it is, okay? And here's the controversy. It does not mean eliminating, nullifying the biblical authority structures in the church and the home. Because it, some of you will know what I'm talking about. Uh, it, when they they talk about mutual submission, uh, those are good words. That's what he's saying here. But people abuse those. And they take it in a direction that Paul did not mean. And they say, see, that, that nullifies basically everything he's going to say after that. You know, wives be subject to your husbands. And, oh, no, it, didn't, it can't mean that. Okay. He is not saying that. He is not saying that it nullifies the biblical authority structures in the church and in the home. <clears throat> and, and I'll go into that more next time, okay? But that is not what he's saying. He's saying this <clears throat> Think of others as more important than yourself. Philippians two three. Prefer one another in honor, Romans twelve ten. In love, die to self for one another. John 13, 34, and 35. That's what he's talking about here in verse 21. Now, it's going to introduce verse 22, and it's going to take on a little different feel, and we'll talk about that, okay? And we'll talk about some of that next time, and then more once we get into verse 22. The other thing I wanted to hit, at least at a high level this time, and then in a couple weeks, Lord willing, we'll come back to, is that we're to do this in the fear of Christ, we're to do this in the fear of Christ. It's a worshipful reverence. And you might think back to our, our study in fearing God. And, and I'm going to kind of take us forward another step in that uh, in a couple of weeks as we, as we talk about the fear of Christ. But that worshipful reverence for Christ compels us to obey Him and to imitate His example, the example that He gave us as He washed the disciples' feet, as we find in Ephes- or Philippians 2, Where he humbled himself, taking the form of a servant. It's the it's the fear of Christ, the worshipful reverence we have for him, that says, Okay, I I want to obey Christ. I want to imitate him. So I want to ask us, do you, do we consciously ask God to fill us by His Spirit when we come to church, when we interact with each other? I've done this for a long time now. I pray Sunday mornings especially, but sometimes on Saturdays, for the Lord to to fill us as a church for not only Sunday school teachers as they're preparing through the week, but now as they're getting ready to teach, those who are leading worship, those who are praying, reading Scripture, all, those, all the different things we do, the, the interactions that we have with one another as we are doing the one another's, as we're exercising our gifts. I pray, Lord, fill us as a body for those interactions and for those ministries. Fill us, make them, transform them and make them, energize them so that we do them in a way that brings glory to Christ, that that edifies one another. And I encourage you to pray that way as well. I also pray for our worship. Lord, fill us, pour out your Spirit upon us in worship, so that we'll have, as we talked about earlier, our hearts that are full and eager to sing praises to Jesus and to our Father. Let's pray that for each other. We should. Lord, fill us by Your Spirit for these things. And then pray that we would depend on the Spirit's power to transform our interactions and our ministries, to energize our ministries, our serving. So as we come to the Lord's table, think about how Jesus died for us. We sing about that. We talk about that. We preach about that. He died for us. And we sing, as in Revelation, worthy is the Lamb that was slain for us. He is worthy. And that's why we lift up praise to Him, because He, the Lamb who was slain, is worthy of all of our glory to give to Him, our praise, all the honor. Meditate on Jesus, the Lamb. So that the Spirit will fill your heart with praise. Because every part of our worship service is that, worship. Okay, preaching is, and sitting under the preaching is worship. The Lord's table is worship. And then we have one more song where we get to sing in worship. So pray, or meditate on these things so that the Spirit of God will will stir up within your hearts joy and and glory to God, praise for Jesus, so that you will worship Him in this moment at the table, but also in our final song as we worship Him. So meditate on Jesus dying for us, the Lamb being slain for us.